you go. Some friendship stories I came across. So see if you relate to any of these. Maybe you've experienced some of these yourself, or maybe you have your own. So one person wrote, I came down with a horrible stomach bug when my husband was away. My best friend showed up with crackers, Sprite, and the best part, her Netflix password. One, this is another one. One night after teaching a late class, I found a sticky note on the window of my car. It read, you are beautiful inside and out and featured a little heart. I never did find out which one of my friends left it for me, but it's still on my dashboard and means more than anything to me. That's nice, isn't it? When I was nine, I had a friend with the unusual name of Wester Joy. We used to walk laughing and holding hands down a sandy road in southeastern New Mexico. She would tell me the plot of the latest Nancy Drew books she was reading. Has anyone ever read one of those books before? It's like a murder mystery kind of kids' books. Anyway, she would tell me the plot uh, of the latest book she was reading. I had never read a book, and I didn't want to. Reading was much too difficult for me because I was dyslexic. But thanks to Wester's storytelling, I eventually bought all the Nancy Drew books. Thank you, my dear childhood friend, for giving me the joy of reading. That's lovely, isn't it? My best friend and I are both trying to lose weight, so we text each other every day to check in. He encourages me to work out when I don't want to or to put down the ice cream, especially the salted caramel ones, and it really helps me stay on track. My neighbor stops over once in a while after I get home from a long day of teaching with dinner or dessert to share. It's such a welcome, happy thing to brighten my day. That'd be nice teachers when you come home. Someone's got dinner for you or dessert for you. Now, this one is a bit of a funny one. See what you think of this one, okay? My husband loves surprising people, and my best friend knows how much I hate surprises. So she always gives me a heads up when my well-meaning but forgetful husband <laughs> starts planning something for us. That way, I still act surprised, but I don't have to deal with the anxiety or irritation of actually being surprised. But don't tell him I told you. Any, any people relate to that one? Any people don't like surprises? So I'm sure we all have our stories of things, our friends or family or people that we know have kind of done in our lives, their little interventions, their little impacts, big things, small things. I was thinking of a few of mine, and one that came to mind is my good friend Simon Brown, known for many years. One day when I first learned to drive, and I got a punctured tire, and my parents were away, and I called Simon, and he came round, and not only did he help me change the tire, but he taught me how to change the tire which has proved very useful because I've had many punctures over the years, and I've even managed to teach someone else how to do it, all thanks to you, Simon. So thank you for that. Can you give Simon a little clap for that? I've made a little impact in my life. Thank you, Simon. Now then, we love, I love stories like these and hearing stories, and sometimes we can think, oh, you know, that's, you know, that's really great, isn't it? But one thing that got me thinking is, wouldn't it be great to be the friend in someone else's story? There's a lovely story, isn't there, that people share what's happened to them. Wouldn't it be great if we were the, the friend in that story? That's a great thing to think about, isn't it? And we see the, and in today's passage that we're looking at today, we see this role of friends and the impact that they can make and the, sometimes how it can be a big effect on our lives. And we're continuing with our series, In the Boat with Jesus, uh, or Jesus in the Boat, as we keep calling it accidentally. And we're looking at the events of Jesus' life across the four Gospels where features a boat in some shape or form. Sometimes Jesus is in the boat, or sometimes a boat is just kind of mentioned as part of it. And the reason is, what's interesting about these stories is whilst huge crowds of followers of people, you know, all different people follow Jesus, 
and uh, Jesus ate with all different types of people and met with all different types of people. When Jesus gets into a boat, he only ever gets into, the only people who get into a boat with Jesus are the disciples, those who chose to follow him, those who kind of stepped out of the crowd and thought, no, I'm in and I'm getting in the boat. But like that saying, we're all in the same boat. And where Jesus goes, I go, and we're in the boat together. And so the gospel authors who were recording the events of Jesus' life, they, they want to record what happened, and they want to communicate the significance of it as well. And so they use the boat as like a little setting or a little clue that as we're reading it, to us it alerts us that this story is about discipleship. This story is all about what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus, to be in the same boat with him. That what Jesus does, we do, and we do it together. And this little story today is a really like obvious one of those because it doesn't take in a place in a boat at all. It takes place in a town, sorry, in a house, in a town. But Matthew, when he introduces it, he starts the story like this. He says, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. And so he's right at the start of the story. He wants to alert the readers. They're like, pay attention to this. I've put it, the boat at the start, because I want you to know this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and these are things for followers of Jesus to do together. Does that make sense? So let's have a little look at it together, and we'll pull some things out, and we're going to mainly read it from Mark's account, because he adds a bit more detail. So he starts with this. So Matthew says, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. And then Mark, this is how Mark describes it. The news spread quickly that he was back home. So Jesus had come to Capernaum, that's a town that he'd like made his own home for a little while as he was traveling back and forth. And so the people there probably had heard of all the things that Jesus had done, the miracles, the teaching, the healings. And then he's come back to his own town and they're really excited. And it says this, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was packed with visitors, that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. And so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I love this little bit here, just how quickly Jesus forgives that Jesus forgives quickly. And in our lives, Jesus doesn't want us to be walking around feeling like weighed down with feelings of guilt or shame. When we know we've done something wrong and we come to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us, he forgives quickly and he restores quickly and sets us back on a good path with him, with the help of others. That's what he loves to do. He loves to bring freedom into our lives. He forgives quickly. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. That's Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. 
They were all amazed. I bet they were. And praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And then Matthew adds this little bit at the end in his version. And they praise God for giving humans such authority. And so this paralyzed man has this incredible encounter with Jesus. I mean, he had a bit of a bumpy trajectory to get in the room. But he's forgiven. He's forgiven. And amazingly, he experiences an amazing healing as well. So what are some things here that we can pick out? Number one, this man is brought by his friends. Four people carried him to Jesus. It doesn't actually say they were his friends, but you can tell by their actions that they were friends when they, you know, when they got to the place and they thought, oh my gosh, it's full. How are we going to do this? They didn't give up. They went on the roof. They would have had steps and flat roofs then. They dug away. That's the type of thing friends do. They were invested in their friend and they made sure they got him to Jesus. Now for us, when we think about those friendship stories at the start and isn't it great to have friends? Is it great to kind of be the friend in that kind of story in our, you know, and we can do that as well. The difference that friends make. What a privilege it is to be able to introduce our friends to Jesus. What a privilege it is to introduce the people we know to Jesus. Nikki Gumbel, who has like led Alpha since nearly the beginning and has spread all over the world, and maybe you've seen it or have heard of it before. If not, Google it, and uh, it's this amazing video series that we use here and all across the world. Anyway, he said this, the most loving thing we can ever do for someone is to introduce them to Jesus, because Jesus loves people, and he is filled with unfailing love and goodness. He has power to transform our lives, to bring freedom, to bring hope, to bring healing, freedom from guilt, freedom from fear freedom from anxiety, freedom from feelings of shame. He brings forgiveness. He brings a fresh purpose. Whatever we're going through, wherever we are, he has meaning for our lives. He strengthens us with inner strength that we can keep going. He gives us peace through the Holy Spirit all into our lives now, into our experience today. And he gives us the hope and the certainty of eternal life. What an amazing friend Jesus is to us. And what a wonderful thing to share with others. And so for us, let's continue to make that a priority in our lives, that we're introducing people to Jesus in simple, ordinary ways, in conversation, in offering to pray, in sharing our stories, in words and in actions, that we introduce people to Jesus. It's the most loving thing we can do. I heard an interview recently with this. This is a famous philosopher, William Lane Craig. He's also a Christian, and you'll often see him like in debates at universities with like top academics and, you know, the Richard Dawkins and other people of this world, and he, he's the kind of debates with them, and, and he's written like a whole ton of books. And I heard recently in an interview talking about his own story and how he grew up uh, in like a, a, a house of no faith. He was a bit of a deep thinker. He was talking about when he was 16 years old, he kind of, he couldn't see any meaning in life, and it was really getting him down. He had nothing to kind of pin the meaning of life to, and he just thought, I'm just living this life, and then one day I'm going to die, one day the universe is going to implode. <laughs> it was quite deep thought for a 16-year-old, but he, he just said he was just so down about it, and he couldn't get out of it, and he said that one day he went into his German class in high school. He was 16. The girl sat in front of him. His name is Sandy, and he said she was one of these girls who's just always happy, 
and he found it really irritating. And so he said, he tapped her on the shoulder and said, what are you so happy about all the time, Sandy? Like, you know, what you got to be happy about anyway? And he said that she turned around and she just began to share her faith in Jesus and who Jesus is to her. And the difference that even as a young person, got all our young people in the room here going into their A-level, some of you 16 as well, just turned 16, sharing about the difference of, you know, who Jesus is and who she knows to be. And she said how she has a friendship with Jesus and that he could have that as well. And he said that when she said this, his response was, well, why on earth would Jesus want to do that? And she said to him, because he loves you. And he said that that hit him like a ton of bricks and it sent him on a journey of discovery. And and it took him a few months, a few years even, as he began to look into him for himself and finally gave his life to Jesus. And he's gone on to do amazing works, like in the kind of the Christian academic world, all because his 16-year-old friend in German class shared about Jesus with him. So for us, let's share about Jesus because he loves us and he loves others. Okay, the next thing then, we see, number two, Jesus sees the faith of this little group of friends. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And there's something really key in this for us as a church, as we want to follow after Jesus and like be in the boat with him and do the things that Jesus did together. And as we go on this journey together of seeing more of Jesus at work in our life as a church and in power, especially in the area, as we see in this story as it comes up, in healing. And there's something powerful about a group of people in agreement together, pursuing and welcoming more of who Jesus is and what he wants to bring and what he has said and what he wants to do. There's something powerful about a a group in agreement with that. Now, a few years ago, I was watching this film. I saw a clip of this film, The Class of 92. It was about the Manchester United team when they used to be good. And uh, there was (laughs) was about seven players who they were all in like the youth academy team together. And they all kind of rose up through the youth teams all the way up to make it into the first team and became like the successful United team of like the 90s and whatever that we that we've heard of, like the David Beckhams and the Paul Scholes, and you may have heard some of those. So they did this little film about it because it's really unusual for like a whole group to go up together like this. Anyway, one thing that I found they were talking about is how when they were in like the first year, they used to do this football, they were like football apprenticeships, and they were all in the first year. And they were talking about how there was this kind of initiations and bullying culture. They called it like it was a bullying culture. And the idea was that the older boys would want to toughen up the younger lads, before they kind of got into the team. And these guys were reflecting, and they said how, you know, it did work. It did toughen them up, but it was a horrible experience. And they would dread it, and they hated it. And, they, you know, they'd be eating their meals, and they said you'd just have that feeling in your stomach about what was going to happen later. And then last of all, David Beckham was like the last one to be interviewed. And he said how he was pleased that they'd all come up as a group together Because when it was their turn to be the older year group, that because they were all friends and because they'd all experienced it together and all been through the same thing, when they were older, they stopped that bullying culture. And he said, because usually, well, he didn't say this, but because usually players come individually, scouted from different places, or not all of them make it up, do you know what I mean? It's all individuals, and so they all kind of fall into this culture, and it gets repeated and repeated and repeated. Because they were one group of friends who came up together, they almost had like the power as a group to put a stop to it. 
and it didn't happen again, and they changed the culture together as a group. In a similar way for us, as people, we have the power to set cultures where we are, and we can create a culture of faith and openness to the things that God wants to do in our lives together and to see more of his work. In the Old Testament, it teaches that when God created the world, he delegated, he delegated to humanity an authority over the world and to care for it. Let's see if I got the verse here. No, I haven't. Okay. In Psalm 115, it says this, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. And God delegated authority to humanity to care over the world that we live in. He gave it to us as a gift. And with that authority and with that free will, people have the ability to welcome God's intention and God's goodness and the things that God wants to do into our space and where we are and to pursue it and to welcome it. Or we have the ability to reject it and close the door to it. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Some of the towns, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, begged him to leave and he left. And other towns begged him to stay or begged him to, you know, be with them or called him closer. And we see this in the story. Also, this is one time, for example, Nazareth. One time when Jesus went to Nazareth, it says that they rejected him. It says this, because of their, um, and they, yeah, they rejected Jesus. And then it says, because of their unbelief, Jesus, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. You know, this is astounding that even Jesus was restricted in what he wanted to do because the people there didn't want him to do it. And so they put a stop to it. And so Jesus wasn't able to do all the things that he wanted. And he was amazed by it. And then on other occasions, we see how towns welcomed Jesus and ran to Jesus, just like in the story today. It says the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was was, was so packed with visitors, there was no room even outside the door. And Luke adds, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And so for us as a church, we want to be a welcoming environment, don't we? We want to be a welcoming people. We want to be the ones who are packed into the door and say, we want to see more of you, Jesus. We want to pursue what you have. We want to journey together. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want more of this because we want you. We want the good things that you want to bring into our lives to reach us, to reach others, to meet our community. We want to throw the doors open. We want to be a welcoming community. That's the culture that we want to have, and we want to grow in it together. And this same power, the Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus and in Jesus, and they worked in unity together, he lives in us. In Acts 1, it says, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right over to this little pocket in the corner of the world called Morriston in Swansea, where we are today. And it's interesting that at the end of this encounter, the crowds are amazed. And Matthew says, they praise God for giving humans such authority. And this is a really, really important line. And often when we read this, we can think to ourselves, ah, obviously this is saying that the people here, they didn't realize who Jesus was. They didn't realize he was the son of God. And so they're like, wow, this is amazing that a man can do these things. And whilst that might be the case, they maybe didn't realize fully who Jesus was yet. But because Jesus is fully God, but this is saying something much deeper, much deeper, much more important, because Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. Fully God and fully man. And that is totally phenomenal 
and amazing that God would do that, that God would come into the world as a man. And it's important we don't underplay how significant that is for us as people, that God would become one of us. And it's really, really important. And Jesus did this to rescue us and to be an example to us so that we could see, firstly, what God is like, that he lived out a flesh and blood example that we could see God's kindness, his welcome, his love, his message, and a love that is so great that he would lay down his own life for us on the cross, dying for the things that we've done wrong, and where God gave humanity authority and free will to to partner with God in bringing his goodness and love and care for our world, and humanity instead rejected God and decided to do things our own way, and but in doing that, using our authority that way, we put ourselves under an oppression of sin and Satan and death and all those things that we see in our world that humanity is trapped in and that we can't escape from. And so God thinks, how can I rescue people that I've given authority to? Well, I could take that authority away and I could like do it all by myself, but then I'm removing something I've gifted from them, something that makes them human. So instead, God came into the world as a human himself, as a human himself, to do it on our behalf as a human being. And Jesus died on the cross as people do and took on all of humanity's brokenness on himself and was broken for us and died for us as a man. But because as a man, he was also fully God, he had never rejected or turned or used his authority in a way that humanity had. But he was in perfect relationship with the Father. He was raised to life and broke the oppression that is over humanity, totally, was raised to life, and after 40 days of sharing about the kingdom of God and God's plan to restore heaven to earth, he returned to heaven where he is now. And one day, he promises he will return to our world, and heaven and earth will be restored, will be reunited, it will be healed. That's God's ultimate rescue. In the meantime, as we here now in our own lives receive Jesus into our lives, receive his forgiveness, receive his promise, and we have this calling to pursue the things of heaven into our world now. Jesus said, pray this prayer. Our Father who lives in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's the end goal. The end goal is Jesus is going to bring heaven to earth. It's going to be reunited. It's going to be restored. That's a promise that we all have ahead of us. In the meantime, as we pursue followers of Jesus, our calling is to look into heaven, look into what God wants to do in our world, look back to what God wanted to do originally, and now what he's doing ahead in the future, and say, how can we play a part of that? How can we, in our broken world today, bring more of what Jesus is about to do when he fulfills it fully into our time now? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. That's our calling in the boat as disciples of Jesus. I've gone way off my notes, so bear with me. (laughs) Okay, so this is really, really, really important. (laughs) So, (laughs) Jesus says this to us. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, after Jesus' resurrection, after he returned to heaven, the first healing that his followers did, when Peter and John, they encountered a paralyzed man or a lame man who was begging and wasn't able to walk. 
and he asks them for some money. And Peter and John say, we don't have any. Peter says this, silver or gold I do not have for you, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And it reminds me of a few years ago when we were running a healing cafe. Uh, we haven't done any since COVID, but we used to kind of run these, um, we'd turn our building into a bit of a cafe, invite people in the community or friends and things that we knew, we'd have coffee together, and then we'd give anyone the opportunity to be prayed for who'd like to. And we've seen, we saw, seen and have seen loads of people healed in those healing cafes, and we were helping other churches start them and run them where they were. We were running one with a church in Barrie, and there was a guy that came along called Steve, who was a builder, and a number of years previously, he'd fallen off a ladder. His, if you're squeamish, close your ears, his, his, his ankle bone had come out of, um, that's enough. Anyway, he'd had to have plates and screws and operations. He could barely walk, struggled to walk, and he was in pain every day, constant pain. He'd been back for more operations. Nothing would touch the pain. Eventually, the doctors have said, the only thing that would help with the pain now is amputation. He wasn't a Christian, but he saw the like, poster or something for this healing cafe, so he came along. He got prayed for. In fact, my dad prayed for him, and he got totally healed. All the pain went, and he could walk without pain, and he could walk straight. And he was totally amazed, and he decided in that moment that he knew that Jesus was real, and he gave his life to Jesus. And I got a little clip of his story here. He's got a very thick kind of Cardiff Barry accent. So I thought I'd give you the story first, and uh, in case you don't tune into it in the 30 seconds. So, Fionn, if you could play that one for me, that'd be great. My name's Steve. I've come here tonight with a healing ailment. I thought I'd have a go at it. Uh, I've actually got a broken ankle. It's, I got 10 plates, 10 screws, both of them staples, over my ankle together. I lost my whole ankle bone outside my foot. And an injury off a ladder a few years ago. Can hardly walk, can't run, life changing. And tonight I've, had, I've been healed and I, I can actually walk properly. I've got no pain whatsoever and hopefully I won't have any more for the rest of my life. So thank God for helping me. There we go. Isn't that amazing? Such a great story. So for us as a church, you know, we're on a, a journey together where we want to grow in this together. We've seen God do some amazing things but we really want to see more because it's good for us and for others and it helps others and it makes a difference and it reveals Jesus' love and his power. And we know that the more that we pray for people to be healed, the more that we see people healed. But also we know that when we pray, not everybody gets healed. And this is a journey for us. And one day, as I was saying, when Jesus returns or when we die and go to heaven, we will be fully restored and healed. And that promise, was, that is for us. And that is a promise that we will experience as we put our faith in Jesus. But right now, we're still in a broken world. And we all experience that in different ways. And we want to pursue more that God has of his goodness and his life and to bring and to welcome that into our broken world now. But the world is still broken, and it's not fully fixed yet. And so we have these two things kind of going on at the same time. And so it's important that as we're on this journey, that we don't ever think to ourselves or put this on someone else, that when someone isn't healed, that we think, oh, it's because I don't have enough faith, or because you don't have enough faith. 
we must never, ever, ever put that on someone or even put that on ourselves because it's just not as simple as that. It's not as simple as that. And we never see Jesus speak to someone in this way when it comes to healing. We never see it. He doesn't do it. And this story is a really good example because we know faith is important and faith is always in the mix. And sometimes when someone was healed, Jesus would commend them for their faith. Like the lady with the issue of blood, she reaches out to Jesus, she gets healed, and Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he commends her for her faith. But then other occasions, Jesus healed people and they didn't have any faith. Like the time that he raised a widow's son from the dead. And he's, you know, he sees a funeral procession going past. He sees a widow crying, her only son has passed away, and says, Jesus, move with compassion, goes over and raises the boy from the dead. That boy didn't have any faith in that moment because he was dead. But it was Jesus who raised him from the dead. And in this moment here, we see how Jesus looks and sees a group of people. And he sees their faith as a group together and commends them for their faith. And so faith is always in the mix, but it's never as simple as like, oh, I've prayed for you. you get, oh, that's because you do. So we must never do that. We must never do that. And that's really important. We never put that on ourselves as well. At the same time, together as a group, we want to journey together and commit to being a community and a culture of welcoming the things that God has and pursue it together and commit to that journey. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah? Do you see the difference? So what are some of the things that we can do together to grow as a community and a culture of faith and to pursue this together. So these friends, they each took a corner of the mat and they carried their friend to Jesus. What part can we play? What kind of corner of the mat can we pick up as we go on this journey together? So number one, firstly, is we can pray. We can pray in our own time as we pray in our you know, daily walk, pray for the church and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come with more of his power and more of his presence for healing, and to help us on this journey, and to teach us, and for us to learn, and ask for more. Every week, we pray for people after the meeting. When you're driving on a Sunday morning to the meeting, pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you come this morning? Would you meet people with healing? Would you come with more power? And ask, ask for more. Let's ask for more together. Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So let's commit to pray for more, and say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome what you want to do. We welcome, you know, the things, the ways that you want to touch us and move in us and to show us. And to, so let's be praying for that in our daily walk. The second thing is to continue to pray for others. In this story, we get a little snapshot of one of the keys to that. So we have these four friends here, and it says that they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. And so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And in the moment, they faced some obstacles. They faced some challenges but they didn't stop at the first hurdle. They were determined, and so they persevered, and they kept going until they, you know, in this instance, got on the roof, etc. For me, if I was to put myself in this story, I would find this really, really difficult. So, you know, when, have you ever been somewhere like there's a really busy car park? You know, if you go to like Morrison Hospital or down to Caswell, one of the beaches or things, you know when the car park's full, and so people start inventing their own car park spaces? Have you seen that? They're like kind of parked between two aisles or on the end, they, they kind of extend it. They're like, well, there's not a space here, but there's space there, so I'll just park here. And then someone goes in front, and they, you see the end down Caswell, they park all in the bushes. Now, for, for me, I know everyone does it, 
but I really struggle with that. I, I hate doing like things outside the lines, do you know what I mean? So even if there's like a, everyone else has done it along the bushes and there's one space that would fit my car, I'll drive around again just in case a proper space becomes available. I hate doing things like that. I don't know if anyone else is with me. Or the worst one, not the worst one, but many times, if any of you follow my wife Precious who loves baking, does a little food blog, I am going to one day do a behind-the-scenes version and show all the washing up and things. And one of the things I will show is the many trips to Tesco or whatever late at night for a random ingredient that I've never heard before and looking around. And now I'm used to asking for help, so I don't mind asking for help because I'll never find some of these like random baking things she wants. But the worst one is when you go down and they don't ha it's not in stock. It's not on the shelf. Okay, and then you ring home. You go, oh, you know, they haven't got... Well, this random type of sugar. They haven't got any. They've run out. Um, and then you get the word, have you asked if they have any out the back? Oh, I hate, I hate asking if they got any. Does anyone else hate asking if they got any out the back? But you know, you can't come home unless you've asked. I would, I would rather drive across Swansea and try a different Tesco than ask if they got any out the back. But now I just gotta, just got to suck it up and do it. So anyway, these friends... They, you know, they weren't put off by those little, they were determined. So what about us? When we, as we're seeking to follow Jesus, and we're seeking to put these things into practice, what are some of the obstacles that we've got to persist through sometimes? And one of them is simply our own feeling of awkwardness or embarrassment. That in that moment of opportunity, when someone opens up to us or shares something with us, and we have a, a chance to share about Jesus, or to offer to pray, or to give an insight, and we have that moment where we go, and we, you know, is this going to be awkward? Is this going to be embarrassing? But we just push through it, and we show love, and we share what we know, and we offer to pray, and we usually, and you almost always find that someone appreciates and thanks you and is grateful, and who knows the difference that Jesus can make in someone's life when we push through and we share. Another little kind of obstacle sometimes we come up against, especially in this area of healing and growing on its journey, is in our culture and in our world that we've grown up in, we've grown up really in what you might call, for want of a better word, like a, a culture of skepticism. And it's good to have a healthy skepticism and to ask questions and to know if it's real, to know for yourself and to research and to see the evidence and that kind of thing. I'm totally on board with that. But many would say that we live in a secular society. I know that's debated, but, you know, in one way or the other. And sometimes that's kind of the assumed default position and it's been like that in our part, little part of the world for hundreds of years since the Enlightenment and we'll go into a history lesson, etc. But we can't underestimate the influence of that in our thinking and in our, it's what we've grown up with. It's what we're immersed in every single day. And that does have an influence and that does shape us and it does shape our thinking and we can't underestimate that. And so sometimes for us to get our head around the fact that Jesus is alive and heals people today is something that we've got to get our head around. It's something, you know, it's something we've got to get our head around, isn't it? But let's, let's get our head around it. And let's know what is true. We know that we serve and love a God who is real, who sent his son to this earth, who has changed history, that we are here today now because of him. And he's alive and he's active and he hears us when we pray and he answers prayer and he heals bodies, and we've seen it in our lives, and we've seen it in church, and we know stories. And these guys came in here in this story, and they ripped off, <laughs> sorry, going too far, they ripped off 
they ripped off the ceiling. They ripped off the ceiling. Let's not allow the kind of secular culture that we've grown up in to put a ceiling on what we know is true about who Jesus is and what he wants to do with our lives. Let's riff off that ceiling because it's not a real ceiling. This is more than a physical world we live in. It's a spiritual world. And Jesus is alive and active in our world. And so let's lean into what we know to be true. Let's elevate what is true, what we see in the Bible, the stories that we've heard, the things that we know. Let's elevate that in our thinking and lean into it and get our head around it and make the choice and go on it together. And I want to put a challenge for us this week. If you've got a healing story where you've prayed for someone, they've been healed, you've received healing yourself, you know someone who's been healed, share your story with someone this week. It could be an old story. It could be a new story. It could be from 10 years ago. It could be from last week. Find the opportunity today and then again this week, share your stories. Because as we share stories, we elevate the things that we know to be true in our world today. So let's share some stories and let's go for it. Okay, on the coming to the end, talking of sharing stories, last week was my grandfather's funeral and uh, I shared this story uh, in the funeral. I thought I'd share it with you one more time today. So my grandpa, John Richards, who was a part of the church here, and for many years, we had two John Richardses in the church. We had John, we used, they were both, uh, well, we used to call John on the right here, the, oh, what's, it, what's that, your left, John on the left for you, John Richards Jr., and John on the right was John Richards Sr., although they were both senior to me, but anyway, uh, senior and senior plus. <laughs> and they were great friends. And Mary, who's um, John Jr.'s passed away a couple of years ago, and Mary, for Mary's time, yeah, they'd often chat on the phone in the evenings and call each other up, and they became great friends. But when they first met, uh, one um, Sunday over in our Penland building, John Jr. had been invited to the church with family. He wasn't a Christian himself at the time. And he was a lorry driver. And many years previously, he'd had an accident in the warehouse where he'd been crushed by a forklift truck. And it had given him this back injury that he'd had for, I don't, can't remember how many years, more than 10 years. He lived in pain every day. He used to take painkillers all through the day. Uh, he used to wear weightlifters belts to help kind of support him. He said that he couldn't uh, roll over in bed. He couldn't kind of like bend down to, you know, pick something up off the floor. Uh, if he sat in a chair, it would take a long time and a lot of pain to get up and out again. And he lived with this every single day. And after the meeting one Sunday, John, my grandfather, offered to pray for him and simply prayed in the name of Jesus that his back would be healed and the pain would go. They said their goodbyes. John Richards Jr. went home that night, carried on the rest of the day, went to bed. And he said during the night, uh, he felt a bit uncomfortable and so he rolled over in bed. And then suddenly he realized that he had just rolled over in bed because he hadn't been able to roll over in bed for like 10 plus years. And he felt his back and he had no pain. And he got out of bed quickly and he had no pain. And he could touch his toes with no pain and he could walk with no pain. And he realized that his back had been totally healed. And he said that in his baptism, not long after, and he, when he shared his story, he held up his weightlifter's belts that he used to wear, so I don't need this anymore. He did a little video of himself touching his toes, doing press-ups, rolling over on the floor, jumping over chairs. He, we didn't ask him to do that. He wanted to do it. He used to love to show people that he could do press-ups now because he couldn't do anything like that before. And he said this, now I know that Jesus is real. 
and he discovered Jesus for himself. And now these two great friends, I'm sure, are catching up together, telling their stories. They would like to tell their stories in eternity in heaven together. So let me sum up for today. Aren't friends amazing? Don't we appreciate the little things that friends do in our lives? And wouldn't it be cool to be the friend in someone else's story if someone was telling one of those stories and we were the friend who put the sticky note that did this or do that? And when we think about how we are friends to others, the most loving thing we can do for our friends is to introduce them to Jesus and to be a part of that story of someone's life. And one way that we can do that is to offer to pray for people and to pray for people's healing. And that's one of the ways we can introduce people to Jesus when we get the opportunity. And it's a great thing to do. So why don't I pray for us all? And then we'll pray for healing this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are an amazing friend. And you are a friend who reaches into our lives today. And we thank you for the love that we've experienced in our lives. And I thank you that that is a love that we can share with others. And I ask, Holy Spirit, just like you came upon the followers of Jesus all those years ago and throughout history, would you come upon us again now to fill us with your love and your compassion and the boldness in a loving way to share all that you've done for us and who you are with our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues so that they could know it for themselves. And I pray as well, would you empower us as we get opportunities to pray for people who need healing, that they might receive healing in their bodies and freedom from pain and sickness and other things, and they would experience the reality of your power and the good things you'll bring into our world now and in, in, the, in the end when you come fully, that they could experience that now. And if there's anyone here in the room today and you're in pain in your body or you need healing, I'd love to pray for you before we finish. And we'll have the opportunity for you to receive prayer as well. So if you're joining in online too, you can join in. And why don't you just say this simple prayer and say, Lord Jesus, please heal me now. And I'll pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask, would you come and rest upon our friends here in the room and online? Would you bring your healing power to our bodies? And where we're in pain, we command pain to go. And where there's weakness, we command strength to move, and where there's long-term conditions, we command viruses and sickness and things that have affected our bodies to go now and to stop in Jesus' name, and we welcome your healing, receive your healing now in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And if you'd like to, uh, if you something that you can feel physically, why don't you give a little test out, see how it is, see if there's any improvement. Sometimes it all comes in one go, sometimes it comes in a little bit, then we pray again and and it, we see more. And uh, if anyone would like to come forward for prayer, there'll be a little team of us here. We'd be happy to pray for you for healing. And if you do receive healing today or have, then do share your stories to encourage one another as well. Great. Thank you.